Imagine if you could sit down at your desk in the morning, piping hot coffee in hand, you could pop open your laptop, double click on a document on your desktop that says life plan. So you could check on what's happening this week, this month, or even this year. Well, I want to help you create that plan. Let's spend five days together making a roadmap for your future so that you can live all the rest of your days on purpose. Yes, you can own the future that's coming your way. The five-day Own Your Future Challenge is absolutely free to join, and I've got a spot with your name on it. Don't let another week, month, year, or even decade pass you by without owning the vision for who you want to become and the impact you want to make while you're alive. This is five free days of learning from incredible world leaders, helping you to uncover who you truly are and leading you to craft a roadmap and set goals aligned with the future meant for you. This is important. Join me and other amazing global leaders and experts to help you own your future starting May 11th. You can join right now for free at jennaschallenge.com. That's jennaschallenge.com for the five-day Own Your Future Challenge. I can't wait to see you there. There's only one way that you can grow. And that's to reorient and reframe the way that you see failure as being for you. You cannot grow without failure. It is an impossibility. Hey, my name is Jenna Kutcher, and I am obsessed with all things business, marketing, numbers, and helping you to navigate both the messy and the magical seasons of this thing called life. I'm a small town mama who took a $300 camera, grew a successful photo biz, and now I work from home and run a seven-figure online business. I teach you the tried and true secrets to building a career you adore. Shy away from the real talk? (laughs) No way. Money, hardship, growth, loss, and marketing are all topics we discuss here. Think of this as your one-stop shop for happy hour with a gal pal mixed with business school. Pull up a seat, make sure you're cozy, and get ready to be challenged and encouraged while you learn. This is the Gold Digger Podcast. The term gender roles kind of makes me cringe a little bit right from the start, suggesting that there is any role that any gender must fulfill is limiting and narrow minded. But let's talk about it. Let's talk about what it means to bust out of traditional roles of what real men or real women should do. I'm proud to be a part of this shift in traditional gender roles. I've talked about it before, but my husband, Drew, is essentially retired. If retirement includes chasing our baby girl around and making sure that I nourish myself after a marathon podcast recording session, then Drew is retired. We're not only comfortable in those quote unquote non-traditional gender roles, we own them. But of course, we still occasionally encounter the curious or confused person who doesn't quite understand why or how I'm the breadwinner. Their antiquated view of a real man doesn't align with what they see in my husband. And while society as a whole is largely accepting and expecting of a working woman these days, it feels like the views of a, quote, real man are slower to evolve. I love speaking with and for women on this podcast, but when I saw this man's name land in my inbox, I knew it was the perfect opportunity to offer a different perspective on the show. If your partner is a man, this is a great discussion to hear together. 
Dave Hollis is the CEO of the Hollis Co. He's also the husband of one of my friends who you might know very well, Miss Rachel Hollis. And in this episode, we discuss what it's like to be the husband of that very successful woman. I ask him about gender roles, about imposter syndrome, and the lies men continue to believe about how a real man acts or feels. I cannot wait for you to hear this conversation. Let's dive on in. Here is my friend Dave. Thanks to Fiverr for supporting Gold Digger. It's so easy to find freelance talent for your business or projects. Don't waste any more time. Get 10% off and the service you deserve at FIVERR.com with the code Gold Digger. If you're still mailing contracts via snail mail or tracking payments with a pen and paper and managing your biz with anything other than a seamless project management system... It's time for HoneyBook. Start your free trial, plus get 50% off your annual subscription at jennacutcher.com slash HoneyBook. Okay, guys, so we are doing something a little bit different today, and I am so, so honored to invite one of my dear friend's husbands, Mr. Dave Hollis, onto the show. Welcome to the show, Dave. Oh, Jenna, thank you for having me. This is going to be awesome. So, Dave, there's so much out there. I mean, I could go on to Instagram, Instagram stories. I could listen to one of your eight bajillion podcasts that you guys produce over at the Hollis Company. But I really am excited to just have this conversation with you today and to kind of peel back some of the layers and some of the behind the scenes, especially of your recent years, just running a business, leaving your job and joining your incredible wife in the force of nature that she is. So this is going to be a really great show. Let's get into it. There's a lot okay. of things in what you just said, Jenna. <laughs> we got to unpack it all. It's like it's like we put everything in the kids lunch and now we're starting to pull the bits and pieces out. So, Dave, for people that don't know who you are, can you just kind of give us a walkthrough of you, your journey that's led you to where you are today? And then we'll get into the really good stuff. Yes, indeed. So my name is Dave Hollis, as you've identified. I am the husband to Rachel Hollis. And we work together now and have for the last couple of years, but decided to do that after having had completely separate work experiences and totally different careers. So I spent about 20, I don't know, a little more than 20 years in entertainment, during which time I worked at 20th Century Fox. I had a role inside of a talent agency managing talent. I uh, took Destiny's Child on a mall tour as their (laughs) tour manager. I mean, what didn't I do? And then I started uh, a career at the Walt Disney Company where for 17 years, I worked in the movie studio. And as a part of the different jobs I had, I would sell our film product to the people who ultimately bring it to you, the customer. The last seven of the years that I was there, I was the head of sales at the Walt Disney Studio, which at the time had Marvel and Pixar and Lucasfilm and Disney as a part of the portfolio of intellectual property. And it was the greatest job on earth until it wasn't the greatest job on earth. And in the midst of it not being the greatest job on earth and a strange bridge between 30 and 40, I started asking a bunch of different questions about why the heck I was on this planet and what it would mean to take some chances outside of things that I'd been previously super comfortable staying connected to, like certainty and predictability and my title status, to go do some work with my wife. And uh, here we are now, two years later, not in Los Angeles, but now in Austin, Texas, working at the Hollis Company as we pursue this Hope to put tools in people's hands that if and as they decide to use them, they might make their lives better. 
Hmm. I love that. And one of the first things that comes to mind when you're talking about this, like as you're saying it, the word status kept coming to me. And I actually, Dave, out of the two of you, you and Rach, I almost identify with you more in a lot of just the ways that you think and the beliefs and the patterns that you've held for your life. And when I was visualizing, if I close my eyes and visualize that shift from leaving that place of status with Walt Disney to now working with your wife, walk me through what that felt like for you. Oh, my goodness. It was so uh, interesting and hard, complicated and amazing, like so many of the emotions all rolled up in one. At the beginning of me deciding to leave a thing that few would, I can see now so clearly that I left what I knew for what I needed. But at the time, I was leaving something that I knew very, very well that I was very comfortable in for the opportunity to pursue something that would make me uncomfortable, like on purpose. I was choosing to leave uh, something that I could do without having to use a ton of effort for something I did not know how to do well. And that was jarring to just about every single part of my identity. And it was against the backdrop of how I'd associated my being the president of distribution or how my being a member of the Academy of Motion Pictures or how I like getting to go to these events or getting to tell stories of these people that I was interacting with afforded me something in the worthy category in the enough category in the I see you and in some ways have envy potentially for the work that you're doing or think differently of you to leave those things and then have to hope that there could still be that affirmation in the pursuit of something that absolutely made more sense to me because of what I knew we were trying to go do. But yet, because there was not yet proof in some of what we might have in the world of impact, it left people scratching their heads. And at first, to be honest, like, right, I was so worried, so, so worried about what people would think of me making a choice that totally made sense to me and us, but that did not for them totally compute. Like they had this construct that they were continuing to live inside of. And I was suggesting that I was going to leave that construct. And they, you know, in some ways, I'm sure there was like this, what does he know that I don't because I'm staying inside of this space but there was also some legitimate, like, have you lost your mind? Should we check you into a place of some kind? I mean, I'll tell you a quick story. This, this like, is, it's interesting. It illustrates a little bit of, at the time, the context that I did not have that I benefit from now. When I was leaving the company with the title that I had and the worry of what other people were thinking, one of the things that I approached my wife in the conversation around how we would do this work together with was this topic of title. She had founded her company, previously Chic Media, spent 15 years worth of time building it into something that I could even consider leaving the Walt Disney Company for. And as much as we made this decision before Girl Wash Your Face came out, which was a huge inflection point in the business, she spent those 15 years, a decade and a half of blood, sweat, tears, helping, you know, pour into a community and stay connected in a way that would afford the work that she was doing to actually connect. And I came to her and asked if I could become the CEO of this thing that she built and worked on. <laughs> yep. My request, I could justify it all day long because, man, I'd had this storied career and I felt like I had and, and do have some amazing things that come in 
to an environment that were absolute needs of her business, right? She's the visionary creator. I'm the practical, pragmatic operator, integrator. And the combo of our two sets of skills are part of what makes this company work as well as it does. But my ego was the thing that was asking for a title and generously, because I think one, she knew how hard it was for me to make this choice and how much I was struggling with the identity shift or the idea of the identity shift at the beginning. She said, yes. And it took, I mean, man, it probably took a year of us being in the work and a year of me being removed from the weight of the opinions of people who were never, ever actually even thinking about me for me to appreciate the ridiculousness of having asked her to do that in the first place. And honestly, like the idea that here we have, yes, men as a part of the audience, but it's a primarily female audience that we're serving. I like she is the CEO, had been the CEO, is leading this community of women and the idea that my ego would be a reason to come in and ask her. So anyway, we made this shift for me to shift back into being the chief operating officer, a thing that I had been playing role wise you know, months back now we've done it, but it's, it was a thing at the time that meant so much. And here we are now two years in, it could not matter less to me, like the blessing <laughs> of time and how time creates perspective yeah. on what really matters has been an amazing thing. But that just gives you a little bit of a sense of how jarring and disruptive this decision was when I was first having to, you know, make the choice to leave. Oh, I think that's a beautiful illustration and also a really cool way to look at how Rachel knew that like you did need that significance in that season and how she kind of offered that to you. One thing that I am just thinking on so hard as you're sharing this and, and Rachel's 15 year journey, because overnight success is not even a thing. I think about a lot of listeners that are listening to this show today that have side hustles, that have hobbies. They're the ones that are staying home and raising the kids or shuffling kids to soccer practice. And, you know, once the kids are in bed, they're starting their blogs or serving the world or creating an online course or whatever that looks like for them. What was it like when you like, do you remember the moment when you realized like Rachel built something that is so much bigger than just her that is impacting thousands of lives and that can support your entire family along with a team. Do you remember what it was like when you kind of realized like this isn't just a side hustle, like this is an actual legitimate thing that is moving at a very quick speed? Yeah, it's funny because it was probably six months into us having moved our family. We moved in June of 2018 and it was around the turn of the year that we were sitting, having the vision casting session for what was coming in 2019, where we'd have the team live, how many people we'd have on the team, what business initiatives we'd focus on, whether they were launches or live events. She had another book coming out. There was this moment where I actually was reflecting on the year in review. And I started back in January of that year. So six months before we moved. And I can remember how the pragmatic, practical, I mean, honestly, I tend to kind of go in my how we do things to what might happen in, yes. in terms of what could go wrong and, <laughs> uh, and game ways to eliminate or reduce the possibility of bad things happening. Uh, I've changed a bit in that way. But at that time, I definitely was 
operating out of a bit of a scarcity mindset, a scarcity mentality, because I had not yet been so fully immersed in the business that she'd been operating in that I didn't really have an appreciation for what not only what was, but what could be. Mm-hmm. And as I was looking at this, like, what is 2019 going to be for us? As I look back to the beginning of 2018 and all of the fear that I had, all of the questions that I had about things that I did not yet have perfect proof for. Part of why we, I think, work so well together is she has an ability to, in vivid detail, visualize what is possible And she can cast that vision. And until she's able to find someone to put it on a piece of paper, draw it out, show me a picture. I mean, we've had me get on an airplane to go and see the way that someone else is running their business, (laughs) actually sitting in a room so that I can, oh, this was the idea you had, right? I just didn't have some of that insight. And in 2019, at the very, very beginning of the year, I now had a year's worth of work that sat as evidence of the things that were possible that reframed the way I was able to actually plan out our 2019 because of all of these facts now sitting in front of me, proof of what was possible. And that was really the first time I connected to, holy cow, we have ourselves a business. (laughs) I should say it a different way. I was connecting to, holy cow, we have ourselves some impact. Right. Which was translating into business. But at the time when I was really like sitting in it, I was struggling to see how we could have the kind of impact 12 months earlier that would make the decisions we were making make sense. And here I was in January of 2019 between Christmas and New Year's. Truly, uh, I was sitting reflecting on the number of people who bought books the number of people who'd sat in live events, the speed with which we were able to sell out the conferences in 2019 that hadn't yet happened. And that was when it fully landed like, holy cow, we're onto something because the way that people are feeling the value and the things that are being created are having impact in their lives. And it's becoming this snowball rolling downhill. Hmm. I love that. And I think so many of us, we like forget the long journey that leads to what people see today. I mean, I, it's so easy to do that. I just had a Facebook memory pop up and it was like a decade ago, I shot my first wedding. Rach came from the wedding industry too. And it's like, that feels like a lifetime ago, but at the same time, it feels like the blink of an eye. And so I love that perspective. I By the way, with everything. I just had one of these moments. I just had one of these moments. Rachel had this crazy opportunity to speak on stage with Oprah this last weekend. Yeah. Unreal. She's doing this, you know, tour. She had called uh, someone from her team had called and asked if she would speak on the stage. It was a thing she talked about wanting to do literally forever. And as much as like, man, I was all about honoring this awesome accomplishing of a goal that she cast a vision for years and years earlier. I was more focused on the work that it took to be good enough to be in a position to be invited because people see a lot of times, right? They'll see you, they'll see the work that you're doing and they say, oh my goodness, you have figured it out. You (laughs) don't see, right? They, They didn't see Rachel standing with note cards, hands shaking in front of a mops group when she was not a good speaker. And then having to follow that up with the big draw that she got at the assisted living facility and then follow that up with the Tuesday night church group, because those things that she kept putting herself in while she was not good at speaking 
are the thing that now afford this opportunity to get the invite for the stage. You just don't hear a lot of stuff. The publicity around what was happening 12, 15 years ago is just not in, in anyone's memory. Yeah. Well, I love how you tie it back and, and help us to remember. And I think that something that I respect so much about you, knowing you on a personal level, is the way that you champion Rachel. And one question that I want to ask you, because I think that this happens for a lot of people listening to the show is a lot of times when we tell people about our lifestyle, if we like casually mention like, hey, we're going to Hawaii for a month, people will look at Drew and they'll say, what do you do? And then he has to somehow fumble over his words to talk about what I've built in the business that I've created that allows us to have these amazing life experiences. And I know how you can talk about Rachel when she's not in the room. And Sometimes I wish that she could hear those things that you say. And so when people ask you, tell me about Rachel, what do you say? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, I mean, I talk about how proud I am of her because of the like example that she was in my life for helping me believe in what I'm also capable of. Right. Like the work that she does. For the community, the work that she does on stages or through coaching or any of the work that she does, that work has had as much effect and impact on my life and the, and the life of my kids. So, I mean, I start from this very legitimate place of an appreciation for her willingness to utilize the gifts that she has been afforded to not just bring light to the world, but bring the possibility of what your life can be if you believe that you are worthy of you know, fully living into it. I mean, like I was in a stuck place. I was in a stuck place on that bridge between 30 and 40. And she was the light that I was able to follow out of a dark place that I dug a hole for myself in. And so I'm appreciative for having been a beneficiary of some of the mindset that she has, some of the motivation that she has, because I don't have it, right? Like if if I have to, you know, do a compare contrast game, describe yourself <laughs> versus Ray, right? Like I have been skeptical of almost everything she's believed in, in the world of personal development from the word go. I yeah. have definitely been someone that would identify as being more fixed mindset to her growth mindset. And I am still to this day and never will be, I don't have the motivation in my belly, like she does, like she wakes yeah. up in the morning and it's a heat source. I mean, it's 5am <laughs> and she's levitating, she's radiating, <laughs> there's an ING word, she's got it happening. And I don't, right? Yeah. And so part of like, I know this is a question, how, how would you describe it? Like, part of it is like, I just, I feel fortunate for her willingness to like fully live into who she was put on this planet to be because in some really amazing ways, it's helped me think differently about who I'm on this planet to be and who yeah. I can in beating back the lies I may have believed or limiting beliefs I subscribe to actually fully live into who I am too. And it's been, by the way, been a journey, right? Like yeah. <laughs> I made this hard choice. I made this hard choice, difficult choice to leave something that few people might leave two and a half years ago. I'd made the choice, but then still fumbled my way through really becoming comfortable in who I know myself to be today, struggled through coping mechanisms, had a hard time with identity. Really, I mean, working with your partner, y'all, anybody work with your partner out there? <laughs> like it has been the best two years of our marriage and it has been the hardest two years of our marriage. Like we're just finally after two years in figuring out 
how to do this well, but it didn't come without having a ton of bumps along the way. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a minute, that transition of working separately to working together, because I truthfully fear that. I think I think it's really scary to me to like loop in the person I love the most into the things I love the most. And walk me through just some of like that pushback and that that hardness um, and also how you maintain like a relationship outside of work. Because to me, I feel like once you jump into the pond, like you guys are both just treading water there together. Like, how do you get out of that and like see life outside of work? Yeah. Well, to the first question, I mean, we really had to be clear, clear about what our superpowers each individually are and how they could be utilized for good. And it, like any uh, superpower, there is a, a negative side of them and how we could minimize any of the negative that comes in our greatness. And so for me, the like thing that I am best at, the how, the operation, the integrator role that I play here, it does come with its you know downside. And that is very often she would be describing the what, hey, I've got an idea, the like most dangerous words that someone can say at 5.04 a.m. every day. Uh, and before at the beginning, right, at the beginning of our working together, I would barely allow her the opportunity to even breathe that vision, that idea into existence without jumping on how we would get it done or it usually how hard it would be for us to get it done. I mean, I tell this story in my book. It's a funny story. I think it's a good one. Like I came out of an experience in our relationship that had me thinking that part of my responsibility was to manage her expectations. Yep. I, mean, I wanted to try and keep her from getting too far ahead of herself with any of her big ideas because of what I thought was my love showing up well for her in our relationship. <laughs> and there was this time where she comes to me with this idea back when she's still working primarily inside of like the, like it was a chic media time of life where there's a blog and it's, she's you know, trying to figure out how to like make the most of the opportunities that are showing up coming out of the event planning space, running this blog. And she says to me one morning that she is going to be the host of a cable television program that is nationally syndicated. And I looked at her like, oh, well, I'm going to grow a horn on my head like I'm a unicorn. Like, what are you speaking of? And my immediate reaction, because again, I think this is the way that my love is meant best to show up in our relationship, was to dimensionalize for her the probability of that dream of hers coming together so that she didn't put herself in a place of getting hurt. And so I told her, I think there's a 3% chance that that will happen. And she made a look, she absorbed the comment and said nothing. And four months later, four months later, she pulls the masterclass in passive aggression and comes <laughs> to the kitchen table with a box that has been wrapped. And I'm like, oh, well, what do we have here? And she said, oh, you got me a gift. I said, well, what did I get you? This is fantastic. I don't even remember buying this gift. What, pray tell, did I get you? She opens this box and there's a necklace, uh, sorry, a bracelet inside. And on the bracelet, a small charm with the number three and a percent sign stamped on it. She oh, had a bracelet made my God. as she tells me that the thing that I'd afforded her a 3% chance of accomplishing has come true. She has booked and become the hostess of a nationally syndicated cable television program. 
And I'm like, oh, well, I'd like my crow served medium. Thank you for asking. I tell the story because here's the thing. There were two very, very important things that I now have the clarity to appreciate. And I try now to apply to our working together. One, I was truly, I, I do believe my interests were to try and keep her from being surprised by the possibility of not achieving a goal. And so I was trying to keep her from having to experience disappointment. And so in giving her that 3% chance, what I was really saying was, I believe that you will not accomplish this. In fact, I believe so strongly that you will not accomplish it. I am giving you a 97% chance of not succeeding in the pursuit of your dream. I didn't see it at the time that way, but now that I see it, I feel like a jackass for saying it that way. <laughs> but what I also said inadvertently was that I don't believe that you're strong enough to handle disappointment if this doesn't come to pass. And if you know my wife, my wife is strong enough to handle anything any day of the week, twice on Sunday. So I have to stay connected to the idiotic nature of my old self thinking that keeping her from getting excited about things was in any way in her best interest and now have to, you know, take the learnings out of that story from what of 12, 13 years ago in our life and remind myself now, because now we're working together in a capacity where my job is to operationalize the ideas. My job is not to tell her why she can't. It's not to tell her why it's a bad idea, right? We still, like, are there some bad ideas? Sure. But my job is to, in partnership, find solutions to the dreams that she's able to have that, frankly, I'm not. And when we're able to do it in a way that affords me the chance to process her dream and affords her the space to let that dream actually be fully breathed into existence without qualifiers, without the reasons why it will be challenging, but instead with a set of solutions, that's when we work unbelievably well together. Mm. You might have a system. I know you can't see them, but I'm doing air quotes right now that you're telling yourself is working. But what would it look like if you could have everything in one place? I'm talking invoices, contracts, messages, questionnaires, timelines, and more. No more post office runs to get contracts out last minute. No more bank lines to deposit your client checks. Nope. All of that is inside of HoneyBook plus way more. Like, way, way more. HoneyBook is a simpler way to run your business. It's how I send invoices, collect payments, create community, craft workflows, export financials, and manage projects from end to end. Hear me when I say my system pre-HoneyBook was archaic and frankly, almost scary. I'm talking night terrors, waking up thinking I lost a contract or forgot a key date in a project timeline. If that sounds like you, HoneyBook will make you sleep like a sleep-trained baby. Start your free trial, plus get 50% off your annual subscription at jennacutcher.com slash HoneyBook. That's jennacutcher.com slash HoneyBook for 50% off your annual subscription. This past launch, my team and I were content creation machines. Blogs, podcasts, graphics, emails, like we churned out tons of stuff in-house, but there was one thing we couldn't do ourselves that was actually key to the success of our launch. We used a freelancer on Fiverr to create eye-catching animated videos that served as Facebook and Instagram ads. Fiverr connects businesses with freelancers who offer hundreds of digital services, including graphic design, copywriting, web performing, film editing, and more, so you don't need in-house 
skills to complete a key project. Find what you're looking for instantly. Just search by service, deadline, price, reviews, and more. You'll know exactly what you're paying for upfront. No negotiation needed with 24-7 customer service and quality talent that you can count on. Take five and check out Fiverr.com. You'll receive 10% off your first order if you use my code GOLDDIGGER. It's so easy. Don't waste any more time and get the service you deserve by going to F-I-V-E-R-R.com code GOLDDIGGER. Fiverr, it starts here. What you just said, have you guys read the book Traction? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it just reminds me. Half the team read Traction right now. Yes. If anyone's listening and they haven't read it yet, we talk about it in my episode way back with Dean. But it reminds me like the separate roles of visionary and integrator. Like I honestly read the definition of visionary often because a lot of times it's easy for us to try to manage both roles. And and truthfully, those two positions are meant to butt heads sometimes to challenge each other to really see how is this vision going to actually come to life? Who's necessary to make this happen? And so it's amazing to me that in your marriage, you guys are able to balance these two roles and always not perfectly, but to be able to play off of each other's strengths. Because I feel like, like you just said, when you guys can like stand in that truth and stand in your superpower, that's when the real magic happens. But that doesn't happen without a lot of learning moments in between. Yeah. By the way, another great book along that same line is a book called Rocket Fuel. Yes. Yep. Right. If you you haven't read that, that's also it's I mean, similar, similar idea, really getting into the specific like the specifics of what an integrator can do and unlock for a business. And it's been a gift for us to spend time in it. You asked the question, I didn't answer it. You know, how do we create the boundaries or the the opportunity yeah. to disengage in the business <laughs> after a certain amount of time. And that's complicated, right? Like yeah. part of the complication is we legitimately love, love what we do. And, yeah. and so uh, guess what? Like, uh, you know, are there certain things that we don't love? Do I love contract work? No. Do I, like, do I love, <laughs> no. Like we're implementing some new human resources software for the team. Do I love? No. But on the whole, we really do love what we do. And so like the idea that we would put a hard limit on, okay, after 6 p.m., we're no longer going to talk about this component or thing from work is cuckoo. Like we just, we get too excited about it. And to try and put a limit on it would be putting a limit on kind of like who we are at at our core. But we are, uh, we're maniacal about our routines, the habits that we have for both our morning, but also some of the things that we have that reinforce our relationship values, like our standing date night. Like every single Thursday night, it does not matter what week it is. And frankly, in the last couple of years, while we've had plenty of times when we loved each other more than we liked each other, we were still going on that date. And it's inside of the the date, our commitment to intimacy. Like, I don't want to get too much into that because I don't know what kind of show this is, (laughs) that kind of a topic. But guess what? It's a priority in our relationship. And so we prioritize it as a thing. And that doesn't just mean what happens after a certain time of night in the bedroom. Intimacy is the way that we approach active pursuit of each other every single day, no matter what. Now, you know, there are times, though, we work together in the same building that we decide that, you know, it's not a far drive, but we're going to drive the 10 minutes from our house to office in separate cars. Like there, there are still some things that we need to be able to come together and not feel overwhelmed by the amount of time that we're spending together that are important 
in spending time alone in like us each pushing each other for committing to self-care and in inside of the kind of the construct of self-care including alone time where we're allowed the space to think and feel and if it's you know therapy or running or massage or whatever like it might just be sitting on a rock doing nothing but sometimes us coming together and enjoying each other is as much about making sure that we have space away from each other so that we can appreciate it when we do. I love that you prioritize like your individualism too. And one of my favorite things about you, Mr. Dave Hollis, is your ability to like just say what you think is BS sometimes. And when you speak, I really listen and lean in because I feel like there's a lot of things that you say where I'm like, everyone's thinking it. Dave's just so unsaying it. And so I want to know, what are some of the mindset shifts that Rachel subscribed to where you were like, absolutely not, this is BS, because I think that there are a lot of messages out there that can make us just kind of question, like, is this true for me? Because it's true for that person. That's great. But what is actually true for me? So what are some of those messages where you're like, nope, nah, nope, not going to have it? (laughs) Well, I mean, the beginnings of my journey into personal development were me putting pushing through the barriers of the belief that personal development or growth generally was something that either was reserved only for some people, like some people are wired for growth and other people's aren't. That's not, that's not real, but truly I was, I was pushing up against some taboo that I had around the idea that people who raised their hand for needing help or that people who were reaching for personal development were broken, that there was something in their being in their makeup that made them not already good, not already enough for needing help in the first place. And my resistance to taking the tools that could have helped get me out of my way earlier were (laughs) ridiculous. Some of it ego related, some of it against the lens of masculinity and whoever maybe taught me what it was to be a man or not. Some of it just a fixed mindset, right? Yeah. My wife, when she decided to go on a journey for, you know, what she wanted to address, like she was really struggling with anxiety for a while. Then she was realizing that she was coping with alcohol in ways that weren't healthy. Then she like every time she ran into something that wasn't working as well as she'd hoped for in her life, she decided to go on a journey to see how she could affect that thing in a positive way. And when she did and it worked, I finally became curious because at first I was incredulous, like this stuff is gooey, it's snake oil, forget it. And then I'm sitting there stuck and even stuck suggests that I wasn't descending. I was truly just becoming a lesser version of who I'd hoped to be as a dad, as a husband, as a person just falling asleep at night, not totally in love with how I was showing up and how little I felt like I was using the potential that had been afforded to me. And I started asking some better questions. My journey started on the couch of a therapist, to be honest, because I needed to understand why. Why was I struggling with the idea that growing like this was possible for me? Or why did I associate so many negative taboos to the idea of needing help? And when I started unlocking some of those answers at therapy, it man, it worked, but it also gave me permission to sit in the audience of a personal development conference and then listen to a podcast and then read a book. And next thing you know, these tools work. Who knew? <laughs> like, yeah, who knew? And so, like, you know, like it slowly melted away some of the skepticism that I felt. And and God, thank goodness for that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and what I love about your book that just came out, Get Out of Your Own Way, you talk about all of these lies. And what I think is so beautiful is that you have these actual stories that happened in your life that share how you reframed your mindset, how you reshaped this lie to become truth. And the thing and the gift that you and both you and Rach have is the ability to tell stories that allow the reader to imagine themselves living in them or to apply that principle to a story that they've lived in in their life. What was it like writing a book, especially when you live and sleep and breathe next to a New York Times bestseller? What was that process like for you? Because writing a book to me sounds like the most daunting like soul crushing, beautiful experience ever. It was way harder than I thought it would be, Jenna. <laughs> I, I mean, like I cannot uh, under stress, uh, over stress. I can't say enough that it was hard. So here's what's crazy. Just like to paint a little bit of a picture of the like arc here. When I was first handed the printed out on nine and a half, nine, nine by 11, nine and a half by 11. When I was first handed, Go wash your face on printer paper, right? You've got a binder clip on top. It has not yet been submitted to the publisher, but it's done. I read it and had uh, just a meltdown. I mean, I had a panic attack because I, for the first time, like uh, this is like our process is not one of sharing our work as we're going. The process was here's the finished product. What do you think? And what I thought was, and what I told her was, you cannot publish this book. Yep. I, (laughs) like in my bones, was certain. And if you've got a partner who has that, like uh, the voice of certainty that they go to when they really want to make sure you know that they know, I used my certainty voice to tell her, you can't (laughs) publish this book. I And again, like coming from the ego and the the work that I felt like we'd done so well of manicuring the optics of Facebook and Instagram, perpetrating how good everything is. Trust me, it's good for her to be as vulnerable and honest about these stories was like going to undo all of the good that had been done in building what had been built, but also the vanity for me of, or the ego for me of a chapter, chapter five, where I'm not painted in a great light. Deservedly. So I was not being a great human then, or a chapter about us struggling in bed. Like those are things that most of the time people are not interested in having it out in the world. And I definitely was on the list of people who thought they shouldn't be out. And then I saw the power of honestly sharing these stories. And it fundamentally changed the way that I thought about how one universal struggle ends up being everyone. If you're listening and you're struggling, good news, you're human. You were all struggling, right? Like there's just universalness to it. And storytelling about things that you're going through with honesty is the way other people can see themselves in your story. That is great for me to have come to that recognition. (laughs) In practice, It was debilitatingly hard. It was excruciatingly hard for me to stay connected to how valuable me being honest about my struggle might be for the reader of this book while I was writing it because I felt like I was going through therapy. It was me. You were in a sense. (laughs) I was right. And so what's I mean, I'll tell you this, like when one of the hardest chapters for me to write, one of the ones that I'm proudest of is the chapter of the lie. A drink will make this better. And in A Drink Will Make This Better, I talk about how my casual relationship with alcohol 
tipped into something that became far less from casual. Yeah. And it's written very much in real time as I am writing the book, as yeah. I am learning to work with Rachel, as I am struggling with the identity shift from having left Disney for the Hollis company, as I'm like scaling a business faster than I frankly have the skill set to handle every single day. And I, in managing that anxiety and managing the stresses and the pain and the imposter syndrome and the feelings of my humanity, I decide to, you know, take what was a casual relationship and mute some of those feelings in a way that has me drinking more than I ought to. And it wasn't until I got the edits for the book back. Like I got the edits back. Here I am. I have finished this book. I am unbelievably proud for having pushed through all of these feelings of, am I good enough to write this book? And, you know, as much as Rachel and I, for sure, are not in competition with each other, we wouldn't be human if there isn't a part of me that's like, man, she has written two of the most prolific books in the last decade, in the last two years. And here mm -hmm. I'm going to try and follow up on that. Like, will anyone try to compare what I've created to what she created and any of those insecurities now as I get the edits back and I open up this manuscript and it's all red. And oh. the only thing I can truly see in that red is all of the insecurity you had about your ability to write has been confirmed in these red letters. Yeah. And my uncasual relationship with alcohol went to a place that on that day I had to decide did I want to actually make it to the release of this book that I want to show up for my family, my team and my wife? Did I want to experience the benefits of the growth that I knew I was actually like I knew intellectually that I left Disney to go pursue discomfort? Yeah, it made perfect sense. And here I had to on the day I got these edits back decide, did I want to actually be the recipient of the fruit of that growth? Because yeah. Alcohol is not a local anesthetic, right? If you've got a coping mechanism and you think that it's only treating the anxiety, I have bad news for you. I was taking the anxiety away at the same time I was taking the joy away. I was mm -hmm. taking the, you know, imposter syndrome away at the same time I was taking the opportunity to learn and grow from me not having the ability to do the work I was doing and in that failure, have it become part of my strength and the story of my future. And so I, you know, I ended up writing in the book that I haven't had a drink in a year, in part because I needed to have in print something that I could stay connected to and committed to wow. so that I could teach myself that a drink, in fact, will not make this better. But the writing process was hard. And now here I am, you know, it's been 11 months since I turned the book in. I have never been prouder of a single thing in my entire life. I mean, I shouldn't say that. I'm proud of my humans. I'm proud of my marriage. But professionally, yeah. in terms of something that I have created, I've had a great career. This is wildly greater than anything that I've ever done in terms of my pride, in part because of how freaking hard it was to actually <laughs> put all these stories and the honesty of my struggle down on a piece of paper because of my 100% I'm positive. I just know that it's going to be a resource for someone else who's also in a season of struggle. Mm. I'm so excited for people to get their hands on the book. And what I love too about the way that 
you guys both write is that it doesn't matter if you're a guy or a girl, a man or a woman, husband or a wife, like you can learn that other side, that different perspective and figure out how to apply that within your own life, your marriage, with people you love, with the people that you're struggling to love. And so I just think it's a really beautiful thing because you can identify with any of those lies and see yourself reflected in your stories in a really cool way that allows you to see what's possible too. And and as somebody who has also struggled with a fixed mindset and just somebody that questions everything, I think it's really cool to almost see the other side of the coin and to kind of get inside of your head. So I'm really excited about Thank it. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's, it's been really interesting. I At the beginning of this journey, I got this tattoo on my arm. A ship is safe in harbor, but that's not what ships were built for. And I got it as a reminder of this intentional choice that I'd made to leave the harbor of security, of safety, of status, of title, of being weighed to that or tied to that uh, uh, harbor by the opinions of other people for the opportunity to be the recipient of what a ship is actually built for. The waves, the choppy, rocky waters, the sea that sits on the other side of the jetty. And I got the tattoo, like in part as a commitment to my wife that I, in fact, would fully step into me being that boat on that water as a sign to my kids that I want them to always be the people who pursue the discomfort of those waves. But mostly I had to get it for myself yeah. because I have to and you will have to also if you're listening and you like, man, you're going to make a choice and you. Yep, I'm going to go chase this thing. I'd convince myself that my deciding to leave was the hard part. Yeah. And my deciding to leave was a hard part. It was the beginning of the hard part. And the last two years have, if nothing else, been defined by what I'd call a season of being unmoored. And at first, my body was rejecting that serum. I mean, it was hard to be someone who could maintain balance in the choppiness of those waters. But as I've now grown into and become comfortable with my identity, I'm the captain of this ship. And I look at that tattoo now in the mirror and I remind myself in a, like in a way that would have me, if I was at one of Rachel Hollis's conferences, I'd be doing the dang <laughs> Wonder Woman pose when I look at this thing. Like I look at that tattoo and I'm like, you're damn right. I was yeah. built for this and let's go bring on these waves, you know, but it's, yeah. you know, like anything, it just, it takes a season of getting your sea legs in the unsteadied, unmoored nature of anything after a big leap, but dang it, it's so worth it. Yeah. One of the things that you said in Puerto Rico that really stuck with me and, and one closing thought that I want for you to leave us with is that you said, you said, uh, most people aren't afraid of failing. It's they're afraid of people watching them fail. What has it been like for you to transition from this position of power and title and status to jump into something that you might not be good at to jump into so many categories with Rachel and on your own and in your own right? What has it been like knowing that you could be setting yourself up to have people watch you fail. And what has that felt like for you as a man? Well, at first it felt really disconnected from everything I'd ever known. I mean, like yeah. my old job, I was the person who talked to the press on the weekend to 
position the way the movies went. I mean, like I was good at telling a story. I think we're good at telling stories in our own head. And I'd been good at managing the optics and manicuring that, you know, things were great. And I will, I'll, I'll say this. I just recently went on this like really beautiful moment of being by myself for three days. And in the three days of me just sitting literally on a rock in Tucson, Arizona, I experienced this opportunity to really look back at the times where pain was at its most like present in my life. And every single time that I had any experience with pain in the last two years, there was a single thing that was present in my experience, and that was dissonance. And by that, I mean, every time that I'd suggested I wanted to be a certain person, show up in a certain way, live my life according to a certain set of values, but knew myself to not actually be doing that, the distance between who I was and who I suggested I want to be was dissonance, incongruence, and that space would show up for me as shame. That, that space would show up for me as pain uh, in some way of feeling like, man, I'm underutilizing my potential or as I'm putting my head down to sleep at night, I don't feel pride for how much effort I've put into it, whatever it might be. And when it comes to failure or like, you know, being embarrassed about what people might say if you were to fail publicly, the like trying to manicure the way that you're doing things but not failing it's like the guarantor of keeping that dissonance in your life. Mm -hmm. I am suggesting that I'd like to scale this company and I'd like to grow as an individual and I'd like to be someone who can write books and create you know, growth inside of our business. And there is a single way that that's possible, and that is to fail and learn from those failures. And so if you're someone who struggled with failure or failure because of what people might think of you failing, then you are opting because of that fear to not grow. And I can tell you with every ounce of certainty in my body that I had in what I left at the Walt Disney Company because of, and I just want to be clear, like I left certainty and security because of how strong the teams were, because of how strong leadership was, the intellectual property was so good. I didn't have to work as hard. I wasn't growing and I was wildly underfulfilled. And if yeah. you are not in a posture for growth, you will be wildly underfulfilled too. And there's only one way that you can grow. And that's to reorient and reframe the way that you see failure as being for you. You cannot grow without failure. It is an impossibility. The only way that you grow is, is through failure. And so, you know, if I say I want to be these things or grow the company in this way or show up this you know, well for these people that mean something in my life, I have to be willing to try things I haven't before so that I can hopefully get most of them right. But in the times that I don't learn from my mistakes, apply those learnings to who I am so that I can show up better. Hmm. Dave, thank you so much for everything, for sharing, for coming on, for keeping it real. I am so grateful. Where can everybody connect with you, grab your book, learn from you, all the things? Well, thank you, Jen. I really appreciate you having me on. It's uh, it's such a pleasure, not just to be able to come onto a cool show like this, but to be able to talk to a friend. I appreciate mm -hmm. it. On social is where uh, most of our things live. Uh, I'm at Mr. Dave Hollis or Dave Hollis on Facebook. The Hollis Company uh, has 
uh, a website, thehollisco.com, where you can find information about our live events, this darn book, our uh, coaching or our product, all the stuff. It lives there. But yeah, as you say, this book just came out this last Tuesday. I am so on fire for it. And I want you so badly to, um, I want you to grab it. I like rarely would just like shill for something that I've made. But guess what? I am so dang proud of this book. If you go to getoutofyourownwaythebook.com, there's some cool bonuses that we made available for people that have bought this book, including a free e-course. So buy the book. If you don't like the book, send the book back, keep the e-course. But I'm telling you, this book was written with you in mind. Thank you, Dave. I hope you enjoyed the conversation just as much as I did. Dave and I recently spent some time in Puerto Rico together at a mastermind. And I told him, Dave, you can come on my show, but only if you are entirely honest and answer all of the questions. And he did just that. I'm so excited about his new book, Get Out of Your Own Way. It just came out. So if you haven't gotten a copy yet, go out and grab that and read about the lies that Dave has believed and overcome and the mindset shifts that has gotten him to where he is today. I sincerely love this conversation. I hope that you did too. Let me know who you want to hear from next. Hop on over to Gold Digger Podcast on Instagram. Tag the people that you want for me to interview and ask all the questions to. And like always, keep on digging your biggest goals. Thank you so much for hitting play on another episode of the Gold Digger Podcast. I'm over here giving you a virtual high five because you just finished another episode of the Gold Digger Podcast. Did that go by way too fast for anyone else? If you want more, head over to golddiggerpodcast.com for show notes and all the discount codes from today's sponsors. And if you're looking for a new crew of movers and shakers like you to bounce ideas and ask questions, be sure to join my exclusive community for gold diggers on Facebook. The link's waiting for you at golddiggerpodcast.com. 